Good evening. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, as we're reading there in just a moment. But this is uh, part 9 in the series Living for Christ, a study through the book of 1 Peter. And last week we went through First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And in that little segment there, we went over some of the teachings that are given about marriage and how the wife is to uh, uh, be in subjection to her husband, how the husband is to uh, love and to honor the wife as Christ loves the church. Uh, but now we're going to move on to the uh, rest of chapter 3, looking to verses 8 through 22, and we will see how uh, Christians are to have one mind Together, So let's read 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8 through 22. And the Bible says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be, cur- be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, for, or railing for railing, but um, co- uh, contrawise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he, will, for he that will love... For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they should speak no guile. Let him eschew no evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But... And if he suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the, of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good um, conscience, that, where, that whereas they speak evil of you, as, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed and falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For for it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, where few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ, who has gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for tonight and the opportunity to be here in your house. Thank you for uh, everyone that is here tonight, Lord. I pray that you would uh, be with me as I preach. Help me to say nothing more, nothing less than what you'd have me to say. And I pray that you would use your word mightily tonight, Lord, and that you'd work in the hearts of these individuals, and that uh, ultimately, Lord, your will would be done, and that you'd be glorified with everything that happens here today. In your name I pray. Amen. This passage is showing us more of the importance of having one mind uh, as a church. And again, this is going to have the idea of unity and the importance for the church having the same, uh, for everyone in the church having the same goal. And that goal is Christ. Um, When we are all focused on the Lord and his word and how we can follow his instructions, uh, we can then be all of one mind. 
if everyone in the church is of different minds and has different goals and are striving all for different things, then they will not all be of one mind and there is no unity there in that body. Which brings, brings me to point number one tonight, having one mind, verses 8 through 14. And we just read those, so we're not going to read them again for the sake of time. Uh, and the one mind that is shown here in verse 8 is showing that we need to be showing compassion, love, and being pitiful and courteous. This is showing that every having one mind is not only about thinking in one mind and having the same goals, but also everyone needs to be in uh, one mind, should, and, should, and everyone should be showing compassion, love, and being pitiful and, and courteous. Uh, we should not only be having the same mind by having that same focus, but be acting in one mind as well by living how the Bible shows us we should live our lives. And let's dig into these areas uh, that we are commanded to be in one minded, which brings me to letter A, one mind in actions, verses 8 through 9, which read, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion, one love of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but um, contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So the first thing we see, here, we see here is that we should have compassion. As Christians, together as a church, we need to be compassionate, showing kindness and compassion to those who are around us. Uh, showing compassion would include being kind to others and trying to bear one another's burdens. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another, and praying for them and trying to meet their needs. Now, this church already, already does an amazing job of that for sure, but it's still important to remember that we as a church family must be bearing one another's burdens and trying to meet one another's needs. It is not just a job or duty of some of the people in the church or the church staff or just the deacons, uh, but it's an important job for everyone in the church. We are all to be of one mind in these areas, and that is including compassion. Oh, if you were to be honest with yourself, when was the last time you went out of your way to be a blessing to someone or bear someone else's burdens or meet someone else's needs? Showing compassion to others is a way that we can all be uh, of one mind here in the church by everyone trying to meet the needs of others and bear one another's burdens. Uh, but secondly, we see that we uh, should be all of one mind in the way of loving the brethren, loving his brethren. This would have the idea that we should be loving each other as, bro as brothers or as family. As a church, we are to be a church family, and we are to love each other as family. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. It is clear through the Bible that we need to be loving one another with a brotherly love. And, that, and when the Bible says that we should be preferring one another, it would, it would be having the idea of putting um, others before yourself and seeking ways to be a blessing to others and bear one another's burdens. This should not just be us showing love and kindness to the people, the select people that we like and then giving a cold shoulder or ignoring the ones that we uh, don't like. We should be showing the entire church body brotherly love as the church commands. We are to love as Christ loves and he came down to earth for everyone, not just a select few people that he uh, perhaps enjoyed or uh, he did not just come to die for a small clique of people that he liked or came to die for those who treated him well. Christ died for everyone, and he loves everyone. He came to this earth showing love and forgiveness even to those very soldiers who were inevitably going to crucify him. 
I know you might be thinking and uh, sitting there thinking, well, I would love so-and-so, but I really just can't get over what they did to me or what they said to me. I just can't love them. But I can assure you that whatever the person did or said to you, um, uh, those words or actions do not come anywhere close to the, uh, Roman, what the Roman soldiers did when they were mocking, beating, crucifying our Savior. If Jesus Christ can show love and forgiveness to those very Roman soldiers who are crucifying him, uh, right there in that very moment, we can show forgiveness and love to those people who are a little, who, who we um, would not prefer to be around at times. Christ was suffering through unimaginable amounts of pain and torment in that moment, and yet he chose to show love and forgiveness. We must strive to emulate this same exact kind of love in our lives. But now we can move on to how we're supposed to be having one mind through being pitiful. As Christians, we are to be striving to be compassionate toward one another. Uh, when someone else is going through a hard time, we must be there uh, to show them kindness and love, even, um, even when someone is offering us, is offending us, sorry, or sinning against us, important to show them love and forgiveness. We need people to show compassion to one another, showing love toward the brethren, whether it's convenient for us or not at that time. But also we need to be courteous. Uh, in our day-to-day -day lives and operations, we need to be being courteous and kind to others here in the church. That This would be um, not speaking specifically about any um, irregular acts of kindness. Um, acts of kindness or anything like that, but day-to-day -day things such as being polite and kind to one another. It's still very important for us to be kind and courteous to others, showing them love on a day-to-day -day basis, even though there isn't a special occasion or reason for it. Um, and now that we've seen how we um, should all be of one mind in those things uh, here in the church, we can move on to verse number nine, and how we can see that we should not be rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. The church uh, is full of human beings, and human beings have a sin nature. This means that uh, people will sin, and at one point or another, people will offend other people. And in these cases, it is uh, so, so easy for us to allow ourselves to desire to get even with them or um, just to try to do the same thing uh, to them so, they can, so we can see how they like it or have that mentality. But that mentality is, is just sinful. We're literally trying to do a second sin just to right the first sin. Um, and that's not how we should be acting as Christians. The Bible uh, says here that we should not be rendering evil for evil, uh, which, we, which would be trying to sin against someone as a result of them sinning against you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage shows us that we should not be trying to get even with people and pay them back for their actions or for their wrongings, as vengeance is the Lord's, and he will repay. Now, that um, statement alone, that vengeance, that vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay, this can bring us to um, allow ourselves to just sit there and wait for the Lord to uh, curse them for taking our parking spot and curse them to fleas with a thousand camels and just wait there for the Lord to get them good. But that shouldn't be our mentality. Um, 
that mentality isn't biblical either. This passage is showing that we should not be worried about getting vengeance, um, but instead we should be seeking to um, be kind to our enemies, and we should not be overcoming evil with evil, but overcoming evil with good. We'll be over, yeah, we'll overcome evil with good. Uh, when there are people who offend us, we should make a point to be kind to them and show them the same love and forgiveness that the Lord shows towards us. We should be finding ways to be a blessing to them and uh, pray for them rather than uh, find ways to do evil toward them. Uh, and we should not let evil overcome us, but overcome evil with good. When we feed the fleshly desire that's, that seeks to uh, get revenge or to get even with someone, um, um, but if we allow the Lord to try to show, if we, if we follow the Lord and try to show them love and kindness, we are overcoming that evil with good. And going back to First Peter chapter three verse nine, at the end of that verse, we see rather than rendering evil for evil, we should rather seek to give blessings, knowing that um, that's what we are called to do, so that we should inherit a blessing. This is once again showing us the Lord desires his children to show love and kindness to those who do evil toward us so that the Lord may bless us through that. The Lord has a blessing for those who um, uh, show love toward those who do evil toward them. And now moving on to letter B, we can see one mind in well-doing in verses 10 through 14. <laughs> which read, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that, uh, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Uh, but And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and ye not... And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. The first thing that we, should, that we see here is that we should be in one mind in our, uh, in our speech and in our actions. Uh, verse 10 shows us that those that will love life and see good days should refrain their tongues from evil and their uh, lips from speaking guile. Uh, now, we've already seen in many passages here in 1 Peter about our tongues, and we, would want, and we might wonder why that this topic is so often repeated. But it's important not to overlook the emphasis that is continually placed on our speech, as our speech is very important and is very powerful. Um, the Bible says in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, My brethren, be not uh, many masters, knowing that ye that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and also, and, uh, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, uh, that they may obey us, and uh, we turn about the, their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, um, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned uh, about with a very small helm. Uh, whithsoever the governor um, listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how, gr how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a uh, world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that defileth the whole body and setteth the f on fire the course of nature and is set on, f uh, set on fire of hell. For every kind of uh, beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed, uh, and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, bear olive berries, uh, either of, uh, fine, of vine figs? So can no fountain uh, both yield salt water and fresh. passage shows us the uh, power that our tongues truly have. Um, it compares it to the bit in a horse's mouth that is used to uh, control the horse so that man can control where that horse is going. In the helm of a ship, both things are very small. You're able to control such a very big and powerful force. Uh, the tongue can defile the entire body. It is set on fire of hell. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Our tongues can cause so, so much damage if we are not careful. Uh, we often use the phrase, uh, well, I hear it a lot, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, but in my 20 years of life, uh, even though it's not, it's not that long in the grand scheme of things, the biggest hurts and pains I've been, that have been in my life were not caused by physical injuries, but rather were caused by words. Uh, and that is saying something, as I once ate spoiled calamari before, and trust me, the effects of that were not pleasant. But I did learn a valuable lesson from that. Seafood must be refrigerated. Um, but in all seriousness, our words are, more, are powerful and can cause more pain and hurt than you can begin to understand. The words you say now, whether uh, uh, positively or negatively, can affect someone for the rest of their lives. That is a powerful thing. We also see in that passage that with our tongues we bless God and also curse man. This should not be so. Just as a fountain cannot bring forth both bitter and sweet water, our tongues should not bring forth both blessing and cursing. And as Christians, we need to be careful with what we say as our tongues are full of deadly poison and can cause very much damage. Um, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What we say should not only be edifying and encouraging. Oh, sorry, what we say should only be edifying and encouraging to others. Uh, we should not be saying anything that would bring others down or discourage them. Uh, like First Peter three ten tells us, we should refrain our tongues from. Uh, from evil and our from evil speaking and our lips from speaking guile. And we see that in the next verse, we should eschew evil and do good, and we should seek peace and ensue it. We should be avoiding evil and doing good. As Christians, uh, as Christ-like ones, we should be striving to live our lives without sin uh, uh, and avoiding evil. But that's not right there where it stops. We should be we should be removing the evil from our lives, removing that sin. But then we should also replace it with something good instead. We should not just be seeking to avoid evil. We should be actively seeking to do uh, good instead of evil. Um, but we should be actively. But we should also be seeking peace and striving for that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter five verse nine, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." And Romans twelve eighteen, "If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men." We are striving to be peacemakers and to live peaceably with others. 
Uh, we should not be going around trying to uh, start uh, disputes or to, or to start argu arguments, but rather we should be trying to live peaceably with others, not getting into arguments or wars that don't need to be started at all. Now, this doesn't mean, by any means, being a pushover, being flimsy uh, when it comes to what the Bible says, uh, but it's important to note that rudeness is not boldness. Um, in the life of, a great example of this is in the life of Daniel. Uh, when he was told to eat the meat of the king and drink the uh, wine of the king, which was against the commandments the Lord had given him, Daniel still stood firm in his beliefs and did not give in to that sin. Yet at the same time, he did not go running in there complaining and screaming and yelling and throwing a giant fit about it. He went in there and he purposed in his heart to not defile himself with the king's meat and he made a request to the prince of the eunuchs. Um, he stood firm, not giving in to sin. He was not rude or mean about it. He was living peaceably. Uh, we should, in the same way, be firm in the word of God, and still, uh, but still show love and live peaceably. But in verse 12 and 13, we see that the, the Lord, um, the eyes of the Lord are over the, righteous, are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But his face is against those who do evil. When we're living our lives as we should be as Christians, we're living by the word of God, living a lifestyle uh, without sin, the Lord's eyes are over us and his ears are open to our prayers. Uh, but the sin and evil in our lives can hinder that fellowship with God and cause him to not hear those prayers and to have his uh, face against us. The Lord... Um, loves each and every one of us very much. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, all your sins, past, present, and future, uh, are all forgiven. But God is, uh, still isn't going to bless a sinful lifestyle. He isn't going to, uh, he's going to be against those that do evil. And I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want the Lord to have his face against me. Uh, but verse 13 and 14 go into the area of suffering for righteousness' sake. Uh, so we suffer for righteousness' sake, so uh, suffering for well-doing, as we saw a few weeks ago. We should be happy and not afraid of their terrors or being troubled. As Christians, we are not promised an easy lifestyle in the Lord. We're not promised um, a life without pain. In fact, we are promised quite the opposite, as the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We are told that if we are living for Christ as we should be and living a godly life, we will most certainly face persecution. And when we do face this persecution and we suffer for righteousness' sake or are suffering for our well-doing, it is important that we are happy and, mo and uh, we are not afraid or troubled by this. As we saw a few weeks ago, when uh, we will follow the example that Jesus Christ left for us in his suffering for his well-doing. Uh, we and we are glorifying um, the Lord by suffering patiently through that and following the example that Christ left for us when he was on the cross, suffering for sins that he had not committed. We should be suffering patiently, even if it is for righteousness sake or for our, our well-doing, as in doing so we are following Christ's example and we are glorifying the Lord. Uh, so we saw number one, having one mind, but now we're going to number two, having good conversation, verse 15 and 17, 15 through 17, sorry. The Bible says, um, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for, of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas ye, they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that, uh, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse um, your good conversation in Christ for it be 
better if the will if the will if the will of God be so that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing. Uh, these three verses show us that uh, show us um, about always being ready uh, to give an answer for our faith, having a good having good conscience, so living without sin, so that when others try to speak evil of us, they falsely uh, accuse us. Um, but the first thing that we see here is that we need to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. This means that we need to, in every single area of our lives, uh, we need to recognize that, that God is Lord and recognize that he is holy and should be number one in all of our, li- in, um, all of our life. We need to recognize the Lord and the priority that he should be in our lives. This would lead us to having a desire for him and have a desire to read and, to, and know and understand his word and live by the instructions that are found within it. It's important for us to know his word and know our God and know why we believe what we believe. Uh, we all uh, sit and listen to the preaching of the word of God several times a week, and we learn a lot from that. And even if uh, what you know and believe aligns perfectly with the Bible, uh, if you don't know uh, that it is in the Bible and your only source uh, is that you heard the pastor say it, that is not a good reason. Uh, we should be able to say uh, what we believe, and uh, I'm sorry, most of you all could uh, do that as I am speaking to a Wednesday night crowd tonight. Um, most of you could open your Bible and give uh, uh, answers uh, for those beliefs. But when someone asks you why you believe Jesus uh, is the Son of God, it shouldn't be, oh, well, the pastor said. It should be, oh, well, the Bible says. That should be our answer. Um, well, so, uh, point, moving on to letter A, having an answer in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that uh, is in you with meekness and fear. While the church does have organized outreach times when we as a church go out uh, to our community and share the gospel, uh, there are other times in our lives uh, other than just a Thursday and a Saturday where the opportunity can arise to share the gospel with others. A very common situation of this can be your job when your coworkers who know you are a Christian ask why you believe what you believe or, act, or ask you uh, why you speak differently or why you act differently. Um, and in those moments uh, that when we're often not expecting them, we need to have an answer for that. Again, this answer needs to come directly from the word of God. Um, and we should be able to point them to the scripture and show them the reason that we believe what we believe. Um, the answer of my pastor told me that's what we believe or my pastor told me that's what we do um, isn't a good answer. That's pointing to the, to the words of a man and not the word of God directly. Even though, even if the, the words of the pastor do come directly from uh, the word of God, pointing to the words of the pastor and not directly to the word of God um, is uh, not directly pointing toward the Bible. Uh, we need to be ready always, and um, the only way to be ready always is to study out what you believe in from the Bible and know what the Bible says about, about that and prepare yourselves to be able to give an answer at any time uh, when someone asks a reason of the hope that is in us. We also, need to, we also see that we should be giving this uh, reason in meekness and in fear. We should not be rude or mean or hostile when we are telling others about our Savior, but we should be giving it with meekness and in fear, allowing the Lord himself to work in their hearts. Um, and we can move on to letter B, having honest conversation, verses 16 through 17. The Bible says, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely 
Accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So uh, in verse 16, we see that we should be having a good conscience. And uh, again, um, we see the reason uh, for this given is that we, the reason for this that is given um, is so that when others uh, go to speak evil of us, they would falsely accuse us. Um, we should be living our lives in a way where others cannot find bad things to say about us, but all their accusations are false. And this would not be for our own credit or for our own glory or anything of that nature. It's not so others can look at us and say, oh, how, how amazing they are. Um, but, the, um, but so others might see Christ in us, and so ultimately God might be glorified. Um, but we see that... Other, but uh, we see that the evildoers would accuse us falsely because they are uh, ashamed. The way we live our lives, living without sin and living for the Lord, can cause evildoers to be uh, ashamed. And this, this would be um, ashamed of their sin in their lives. And them seeing Christ uh, in us would bring convic- can at times bring conviction of that sin. Um, this shame can drive them to falsely accuse uh, um, good conversation in Christ. This... Um, this then can cause us to suffer for our well-doing, uh, for your good conversation in Christ. And in verse 17, we see that it's better for us to suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And again, we saw this a few weeks ago that um, when we saw that it brings no uh, honor to God uh, when a man suffers for his error. Um, but we should be rather um, following the example of Christ when he suffered for his well-doing and suffering patiently through that glorifying the Lord. Uh, we've seen number one, having one mind. And we see number two, having good conversation. Moving on to number three, we see a suffering of Christ in verse 18 through 22. Um, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for us, suffered for sin, sorry, um, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. The first thing that we see here in this passage is indeed the suffering of Christ for sins. And again, I'm sure as we all know, I'm just going to emphasize this again. The sins that Christ was suffering for were no sins of his own, um, but they were sins that we had committed. The Bible says says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ knew no sin, he became sin for us, and he died for us. He is perfect and sinless and holy, and he did not die for any sins that he committed, but rather he died for all the sins that we committed. Um, He willingly took those upon himself so that we might be saved. Um, But the first thing that we see here is that Christ suffered for uh, our sins, and we see letter A, Christ's suffering in verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ suffered on the cross, willingly taking our sins upon himself and paying the payment that we deserve to pay for ourselves. 
Um, we see uh, the just for the unjust, Christ being perfect and having never sinned, um, and being on that sin, being on that cross, sorry, for um, no for no wrong um, for no uh, wrongdoing of his own. He is just. He is holy. Yet despite this, he died for us, and we are the unjust. We are nasty sinners, and the goodness of ourselves is only as filthy rags to the Lord. There is nothing good in of ourselves, but um, the just died for the unjust, and Christ gave his life for us that he might bring us to the Lord. His uh, death, burial, and resurrection is what brings us uh, to the Lord and brings us salvation. There's nothing um, good of our own. He died so that we might have salvation through Christ and through the shedding of his blood on that cross. But the last thing that we see um, in that he was being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Not only did Christ die for us, bearing all the sins of this world, but he also rose again from that grave on the third day. Uh, in history, there are uh, some men of this earth that made themselves to be false gods and were worshipped by others. And something that is common in all of them is they are all dead. None of them rose up from the grave again. Only Christ. We serve a living Savior. Our salvation is not based on anything that we do, but rather is based on what Christ has done. Our salvation is not based on uh, works of our own or works of our own that keep us saved, but rather is entirely based on Christ and what he has done for us. And moving on to letter B, we can see Christ's long-suffering, verses 19 to 22. Uh, which read, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the longsuffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism also um, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the, of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. We've seen the beginning of these verses of here that the Lord went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And if we look down to verse 20, we can see that, um, he, that this is speaking of those who uh, um, were in the days of Noah. And this term, went here, is not referring to the Lord physically himself going down there uh, and preaching to them. Rather, is referring to the Lord, um, to, the, to the moving of the Lord um, using uh, individuals. <coughs> Sorry. In this general time frame, which is bef uh, from the fall of man all the way to the uh, flood in the time of Noah, there are two men in particular that stand out from the crowd and uh, in that multitude. And those two men were Enoch and Noah. Uh, Enoch was a man who walked the Lord while the world was getting worse and worse in its wickedness. In fact, because of the fact that Enoch walked the Lord, the Lord took him. The Bible says in Genesis 5.24, And Enoch walked with God, and he, was, and he was not, for God took him. In Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and uh, was not found, because God had translated him, for, he, uh, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then we can specifically see here in this passage that um, the mention of Noah and the flood in 1 Peter chapter 3. So you see that those who were disobedient were preached unto in the time of Noah while the ark was being built. And in this area, um, here we can see the long-suffering of our God. It took Noah roughly 100 years to build this ark, and the Lord waited this entire time and was long-suffering through all the sin of man, uh, 
um, through the time the ark was being built. Uh, man was so wicked that the Bible says in Genesis 6, 5 through 6, and God saw, the wic- God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the um, thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And repented the Lord that he hath made man on this earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Man was so sinful that every single thought of his mind and heart was continually evil. And the sin was so bad that it grieved the Lord at his heart. Yet despite this complete wickedness of man, how it grieved the Lord personally, the Lord was still long-suffering toward man and waited even longer, waited a hundred years extra while Noah made the ark and preached unto those, telling them the need to repent of that sin and turn to the Lord. Um, And I'll also add to this that our God is also very much long-suffering with us here today. Um, the Bible says in First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter uh, three nine, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This shows us of um, an, uh, of an example of how long suffering our God is. Even though man sinned against God and man deserved to spend eternity in a lake of fire and torment, forever separated from the Lord. Uh, the Lord is still long-suffering toward man and desires that man should not perish, but that it should come toward repentance. Um, uh, when the minute man sinned, God had every single right, being holy and just, to wipe man off the face of the earth, but rather, the Lord decided to send a Savior to the earth and to save man. He, he loved his man so much that he desired that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, which shows his long-suffering. Uh, The Lord is long-suffering with us, and he is long-suffering in the time of Noah as well, when he waited to bring the flood um, for all that time while Noah made the ark. And moving on from that, we can see in verse 21 that baptism does does save us, but not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but of a good conscience toward God. Uh, The simple act of baptism itself saves nobody. Uh, That water in that act of baptism is nothing special toward salvation at all. Um, in fact, uh, back when I lived in Pennsylvania in our church there, we were filling up our baptistry one Saturday afternoon uh, for a baptism on Sunday. And it was kind of dry that time of the year. And the well uh, had run dry. And instead of pumping water into that baptistry, it was rather pumping mud into the baptistry. So that was really fun to clean up that day. Um, um, oops. Uh, um, let's see here. But it's not the act of baptism that saves anyone, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God or repentance and turning away from sin and turning to the Lord as Savior. Um, it is not baptism that saves them, but it is um, them placing their faith in Christ and his death, burial, and his resurrection. Just as the Lord is long-suffering in uh, his saving of Noah, um, he is long-suffering with us, desiring, that, um, desiring for us to be saved as well. But finally, we see that Christ um, is in heaven, and he is um, on the right hand of God, and the angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. Um, Our God is very powerful. Oftentimes, we can read in the Old Testament, and we can read about um, some of the incredible miracles that the Lord did, such as creating the world, splitting the Red Sea, and making the walls of Jericho fall. And when we read of those, we can almost begin to think to ourselves that they had an awesome God. My friends, that is the same exact God that we serve today. Um, Our God created this earth. He split the Red Sea, and our Savior conquered death, hell, and the grave. We serve the Lord God Almighty, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our God is an awesome God, and I mean that in the most literal sense. When we stop and think of 
um, what he has done for us and all he has done, uh, we should truly be in awe of him um, and his love um, and his long-suffering toward us. Uh, but to conclude tonight, uh, we can see that, uh, having one mind, verses 8 uh, through 14, how we should be having one mind in our actions and how we should be uh, one mind in our well-doing as well. And we saw, um, number two, having a good conscience, and how we should be always having an answer uh, for the uh, hope that is in us with meekness and in fear. And we also should be having an honest conversation uh, in the Lord. We saw, number three, suffering for Christ, and how uh, suffering of Christ, sorry. And we saw Christ suffering for us and how he suffered uh, for our sins. And we saw Christ's long-suffering uh, as well. We saw how he is long-suffering with Noah, He also was long-suffering with us as well. Uh, But now we're going to uh, close in a word of prayer and then move into our uh, prayer meeting tonight. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for for today, Lord, and the opportunity to be here in your house. Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity that you gave me to preach, Lord. Pray that you would, um, that your word would have not returned void, Lord, and that you would have uh, uh, worked in a mighty way tonight, Lord. And I thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. And I pray that you would bring us all home safely and bring us back uh, here together to meet um, again, Lord. And I pray. Amen.